listening to In the Booth, a politics podcast from the Frederick News Post. My name is Jack Hogan, and I cover county and state politics for the News Post. In the coming days, we'll be publishing interviews with candidates for Frederick County Executive, Frederick County Council, to help voters get to know more about some of the local names that will be on their ballots in November. Today's guest is John Distel, a sergeant in the Montgomery County Department of Police's Internal Affairs Division. In a previous version of this podcast, I misstated the length of time that Distel has held his current position with the Montgomery County Department of Police. He's been a sergeant since 2018, and he's been with the department for a total of 20 years. Distel was also a part-time attorney, but took on a reduced role to focus on his campaign. Distel is the Republican nominee in the race for the District 1 seat on the Frederick County Council. District 1 covers the southwestern part of the county, including Middletown, Burkittsville, Rosemont, Brunswick, parts of Urbana, and the Sugarloaf Mountain area. His opponent on the Democratic side is County Councilman Jerry Donald, who since 2014 has represented Council District 1. John, welcome to the newsroom and to In the Booth. Awesome. Thanks. Uh, start off, can you walk me through your decision to run for County Council? Well, it was a it was kind of a difficult decision because initially I was going to run for the House of Delegates. Uh, they changed the map around a little bit, uh, took me out of a single-member district and put me in a three-member district. I wasn't interested in running a citywide race because basically where the district I would live in encompassed all of Frederick City. Um, the policy positions I was taking in the House of Delegate race seemed even to fit better at the local level. More about property, ta- you know, property tax relief, funding, you know, local law enforcement. Those were my main issues at the time, and it just seemed more appropriate at the county council level to do that. You make more of an impact there than I would in Annapolis, and that's it. Prompted me to change the race. It prompted me to change the race, and then I just, you know, started working, working hard to win the primary. I knew I was, I knew I was entering in a contested primary because there was already a candidate filed at the time. Um, a candidate that had a name, had name recognition, and I knew it was going to be difficult to, you know, to defeat that. And I had very little name recognition at the time, and that's, you know, that was, you know, kind of where my brain was at the time. And I had to just get into that basically campaign mode and just go out and knock on thousands of doors to put the name out there. What do you feel is the most important issue in the race? In our race, um, there's probably two. Um, the expanding county budget, property tax, and the third, now that it's come up, you know, it's been kind of a hotbed ticket in the last few months is a sugar loaf overlay. You know, those are the three, I think those are the three key things that are going on in, in our district right now. So, I mean, unless you want, is there more that you're looking for? I, I mean, I'm just not too sure. I mean, so you bring up a, you bring up a few a few of these uh, important issues. Where and where do you stand on on these three that you mentioned? Well, part of for the tax rate, we we want to we want to freeze the property the property tax rate. And the first time you know, the first time I I spoke like, speak to people and they hear, well, if you freeze the property tax rate, we're going to run out of money. I was like, well, that's not necessarily true because the county's been running on a surplus the past you know, at least five years. We've had a surplus. And how that money is spent. I said, and last year, you know, voters finally got something back. They got that $150 tax credit from, you know, their overpayment into the county system. Like, so if we free, if we freeze the rates now, you're, we're still going to receive those same levels of funding. You know, we're still receiving that same tax revenue. It just, it's not going to increase from that point. At least we're putting a stop, at least a 
kind of a break, I guess, a break on the expansion of of county the county taking in money. And as and as people move into the county, that even at that same tax rate, we're going to receive tax revenue from those from those new residents, as long as as long as influx doesn't you know isn't less than what is leaving the county. So. That that's that was one of the bigger that's one of the bigger you know questions that I get asked a lot like well what's going to happen if you freeze the tax rates like ultimately the county's going to fund at the same level it's been funding as of this year and then I explained to them that eight years ago the county had an operating budget of approximately five hundred fifty million dollars I was like last year it was it expanded to over eight hundred million dollars to include a ten percent raise from last year and a year where we saw record numbers record levels of inflation and I said. Where does that money come from? It comes from the citizen. It doesn't come from, you know, people. It comes from the people that live and work and run businesses in Frederick County. So, so you want to when 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 you're bringing down the the property tax rate, it could result in decreases of of revenue for the county. I think like last year the estimates were like 13 million. Just to clarify, you said you want to be able to draw from surplus to make up make up that difference and be able to continue providing services that that's, the county has. That's correct. I mean, because even if you hold the tax rate where it is, we was there was a $120 million surplus last year, give or take. I mean, you're even if you fund at the same level, you're still going to have that $120 million as long as you don't blow out the budget. And that's, and that's you know, that's where, you know, I think where I differ from my opponent is, he would rather spend the money as opposed to I would rather you keep your money. Would this look like um, using some of the surplus to re- to offer rebates for taxpayers? That's part of it, and you can also fund pro- you can fund project you can fund the projects that you need to fund with that. You can fu- again if you have projects that need to get done, and it's not within the county budget, you can use some of that surplus to fund that that project. But ultimately, that surplus probably should go back to the taxpayer. That was one of the um, the three uh, main points of uh, the main issues within your race. I think the other one you mentioned was Sugarloaf and the and the overlay district, um, and that's something that we'll, we'll also touch on later on in the in the podcast. But I mean, where do you stand on on the plan as it is now? As I mean, as it's as it is now, if it gets passed, you know, I don't think Sugarloaf, I don't think Stronghold's bluffing. You know, that's I, I'm pretty confident that if that overlay stays as is now, even with the amended, even with it being amended as it has been in the last couple of weeks, Stronghold's going to close the mountain. You know, and that's, you know, that's going to have some ramification to to Frederick County, because how many people from outside the county come and visit Sugarloaf on an annual basis? Those people still come in. They still come. They still come and shop. They still you know, they, they still visit Frederick County, and if we shut that, if if we allow that mountain to get shut down, we're going to lose out on potential uh, lots of potential revenue. Now, the bigger issue with it is, Stronghold has been an excellent steward of the land for over a hundred years. You know, it has been there's been next to no development in that area, and there's no intention to develop in that area. So, really, the overlay wasn't necessary. It wasn't really necessary to downzone from you know, ag, you know, ag to, you know, resource conservation. There was no, there was no, ne- there was no real necessity to do it. Even the public comments that I've heard, there's no intention of 
developing that part of the of the county. I believe um, the McIntoshes have been very adamant and have explained they've owned land down there almost 70 years, and there's been what six new develop six new houses built in that area, and they're all large and they're large acre lots. You know, it's not you know, no one has any intention of building there, and that's you know that's I think the big the big consternation and the, and the, you know, the property owners felt that they didn't have a fair say, even though this had been going through the, the commission for approximately two years, those individual property owners really didn't get their say until they had public comment. And what ultimately happened was the amendment to pull those individual property owners off the overlay, you know, had that conversation happened first, not three weeks before they're ready to pass the bill. Maybe you don't, it's not such a controversy, but at the same time, you're still telling you're still telling people we are going to downgrade your we're going to downgrade the use of your land. What does that do when it comes time to sell? You have to disclose that. If you want to sell your property, if I'm in the market for buying a farm and your farm is designated resource in a resource conservation zone, I now know there is tons and tons of things I cannot do to my land. And if I want to do things to land, I have got to deal with I've got to deal with the bureaucracy of, of Winchester Hall to get lots of permits. It takes long amount a long amount of time to get those permits that are necessary to even just to improve upon the land and that's ultimately you know ultimately it devalues the property no matter you know how you however you look at it you're devaluing their land by by zone by changing their zoning because you have to disclose that at sale and if i'm again if i'm in the farm if i'm in a market to buy the farm the less work i have to do to get work done on my farm the better you know, I don't want to have to deal with the county government for every little thing I need to do to get, make my farm operational, operating properly. And, all right. So just and just to clarify a couple of things, the and you you touched on this. The council voted to remove the property or the the zoning changes for like it was like 114 properties from resource conservation or from ag uses to resource conservation. So they'll maintain their current zoning and allowable uses. They'll still be in the um, overlay district if they pass the current plan. And I, those, so those are separate, and they'll, they'll just have to abide by some development restrictions that are within that. Um, I want to use this time to just provide a little bit of background for people listening about the plan. Uh, this is so we're talking about the Sugarloaf Treasured Landscape Management Plan. Um, it's planned to preserve Sugarloaf Mountain and the land surrounding it, and it's the first area plan that is part of the larger Livable Frederick Master Plan, which the county passed in 2019 to guide development and preservation. Um, and I know you you were able to touch on some of the feelings that you have about the plan if you were a member of the council would you vote to approve the sugarloaf plan as it stands now and and why why not no, absolutely not no. um one it's gonna it's gonna force you're, you're basically gonna close the mountain because sugarloaf stronghold is going to close the mountain they are not bluffing this is i don't know why we're playing this chess match why the county council is playing this chess match for stronghold but stronghold is not bluffing they if that overlay passes, they will shut the mountain down, especially if their property is included in the overlay. Again, they've been great stewards of the land. You know, allow allow the people allow the owners to be stewards of the land. It'd be one thing if they were out talking about developing the mountain into some resort area. There was already there's already rules in place that prevent them from doing these things. And they understand that and they don't want that. They want the mountain the way it is. They don't want it. They just don't want to be dictated to from, from downtown Frederick. They don't want Winchester Hall dictating how they can use their own land. I mean, again, it's a private. They're a private entity. It's not. It's not government. It's not government-owned land. And to me, it just it looks like it looks like a, a like a land grab by the county at some point, especially when you're not paying 
those pro- when you're not paying those property owners fair market value for devaluing their land. Because again, if this overlay passes, you're devaluing their land no matter how you look at it. You, they had their, their specific land uses they know they can have, and now they don't have those anymore. If they want to sell, they've got to disclose that. You know, I'm, I'm kind of, it sounds like I'm repeating myself, but that's, you know, that's the point. It's still, it's still, it, it's still a, the best term is, invasion is not the best term. It's, it's definitely an infringement upon their, their private property rights. There was a, there was a third issue that you, that you mentioned um, as the as your top three in the race, uh, county budget. Okay, and so I mean, what what changes to the budget would you seek to bring? What I would what I would like, and it, it came up. It came up. It was there an, the ability to line item veto in the budget. Now that came up as a potential charter amendment during the county council this summer, and it didn't get voted. It got voted down. If I'm the county council, if I'm a county council member, I want to be able to take a look at every line item on the budget and be able to, and I also want to change the rules to be able to bring in the directors of each of departments and say, hey, look, justify your budget to us, please. Make me understand why you need X amount of dollars for this project or X amount of dollars for this. Like, is there a collective, you know, is, I'll use, because maintenance of effort, we'll use a school board because that's a lot, probably the easiest one people, you know, people get understand best is is the school board budget the board of education makes the budget and they base that upon maintenance of effort now for those that aren't aware what maintenance of effort is basically the counties can't cut the school board you know can't cut school funding and what that does is it leads to an increase in budget every single year and if for example if maintenance of effort is two percent and the, and the school board is asking for and board of ed is asking for eight percent an eight percent increase in their budget we should be able to we should send that budget back and say hey maintenance of efforts two percent cut six percent out of your budget somewhere figure you figure it out it's not you know that's that's basically what happens now is like it just gets sent back it's a no up or down vote on the budget and say nope figure out how to get it to this point so you'd like to for the county to lower its its funding for the board of education's budget to no, I'm just using that. Effort. No, I'm using that as a, as an example of things that can be done. You look at you can look at every department's budget and figure out where they're overspending. You know that's you do forensic you just do a forensic audit of their budget. Now that's going to take time. You know it's not a full time council, so people have to be willing to sit down and do the work. But we should also be able to have a public you know, public conversation with department heads. So we, you know, again, the board of Edu- the board of education, because they set the budget for, for the public schools, they already do that. But for example, if we want to bring the fire, you know, the, the county fire chief in to explain his, explain his whole, bu- explain the budget to us, we should be allowed to do that. He shouldn't just have to direct deal with the, the county executive. You know, we should be able to say, well, where, you know, where can we work together and find ways to reduce your spending for your know, reduce reduce taxpayer spending. So the county council does have uh, budget director or department and division directors come in mm-hmm. um, around budget time and when they're considering the county executive's proposed budget. Are you saying that it should happen um, at a different time, more frequently? It should be more frequently. We should again, but not just speaking with the budget director. We should be allowed to speak with the ind- like the individual in charge of that agencies. For example, the fire chief. You know, the fire chief should be able to come in front of the county council and say, look, I need a, you know, this is why I need a X number percent increase in spending. 
Now, whether or not that's a, it's an approved amount that we that we're willing to approve is different. But they should be able to come and basically lobby on their own behalf to the count to the people that are ultimately responsible for approving or disapproving their budget. And I think that's what I was touching on. So they okay. do. But you say that was a budget. You're saying that's a budget director. That's uh, if I sorry if I misspoke. They do the department or division directors. Okay, uh, do come into the county council to be able just to lobby on behalf of the budget that the county executive approved mm-hmm. for them. Okay, is there a is there a change you'd like to see to that process? Again, the ability to say basically tell them cut this you know cut pork cut this portion out of your budget. Be able to, to give them and say, look, we know you're looking for 10, we're looking, you're looking for a 10% increase in your budget. That's not in the cards. We don't have the, we don't have the, the funding for it. Go back, cut X percentage out of your budget and bring your budget back to us. Okay. Okay. What would you say is your number one legislative priority? Uh, if you were elected heading into a four-year term in the council, well, definitely freezing property tax rate. That's that's number one, um, and then making sure that the public safety is fully funded. It's probably one and one A. And I, I so I know that um, when you say public safety, is this the sheriff's office, sheriff and fire, and fire. Okay, yeah, that's okay, all good. part of public. Yeah, the fire department, EMS. It's all part of public safety. Should the county continue funding at the levels that it has under? Uh, Jan Gardner, County Executive Jan Gardner, should should funding be increased? It de- um, it depends. Yes, at the le- at the current level, it needs to be continued because that's what they're used to. That's their baseline. If it needs to be increased, they need to justify that increase. I want to just bring it back to um, like some of these land use plans. I know the so the Sugarloaf plan will likely be over by the time the next council takes takes office. But the county has already begun meeting with community members about the next regional plan in the Livable Frederick Master Plan. This one's called the South Frederick yep. Corridors Plan. Um, it'll examine an area south of Frederick along Maryland 355 Urbana Pike and Maryland 85 Buckystown Pike. Uh, it's the second most economically significant region of the county to Frederick City. Goals for the plan include reinforcing and creating economic strengths and assets, supporting existing business and industries, and fostering innovation opportunity how can the county improve its public process for this plan compared to the process it had for the sugarloaf plan well you know uh, the biggest problem with the sugarloaf plan was a lot of the meetings took place over over zoom during covid you know and that's you know, that's the reality of the situation it was you know you know not you know to be would be you know intellectually honest about it there's been they've been debating this thing for 2 years but while it's been debating for 2 years People have been trying to, you know, make sure they don't get sick, they don't catch COVID. You know, there's and there's been a lot. There's been a lack of participation in government, partially because the government hasn't technically been open. You know, doing a Zoom meeting and having a meeting in Winchester Hall are two separate things. How many people are really listening on a Zoom meeting? Maybe the same is true in person, but in person you get to see your audience. If you're sitting, if you're sitting on that that platform, you're looking at an audience. You know, there's there's something to be said about the effect of looking out in the audience and seeing a packed room. And as you've seen in those Sugarloaf open, you know, those, those Sugarloaf meetings recently, that room is packed every time it's on the agenda. And it's packed to capacity, and people are in the hallway watching outside. 
what they're doing better this time is they're including stakeholders early in the process to make sure that they know that they're included. They're getting out the they're getting out the registered letters to the pro, to the owners. They're getting the they're getting the business owners that have a vested interest in that area. They're getting that contact with them and they're getting them together in committee. They're getting them together in workshops. The property owners didn't feel that way, didn't feel that that was done last time. And that was one of the chief complaints that I heard at the meetings where people didn't receive these registered letters. I mean, I'm not going to debate whether they received it or not. You know, they're saying they did. The county said they sent it, and the homeowner is saying they didn't. I don't know. Again, I'm not in control of the mail. That's a federal. That's a federal government problem. But they are definitely have definitely improved upon the process. And maybe that's what it takes. Sometimes you have to have a bad process to realize that you have a flaw in your system, and you work just keep working to fix the system. And that's, I think, what they're doing with the South Frederick plan. They, they're, they're, they're improving upon how they go about getting to the final, the final product. You know, the, the first product seemed rushed. It seemed unnecessary, especially, especially with the way the land had been stewarded for, for almost 100 years. You know, that, to me, that didn't seem like that needed to be the first one on the, on the agenda. I, would have, I probably would have rather seen the, 80, the, the South Frederick plan be first because that makes the most sense. You're, you're, you have... Massive, a massive construction project going on there that's been going on for three years now, and that's the 85-270 off-ramp. You know, that's, if anyone that tries to drive through there knows how much of a mess that is on a daily basis. I live a quarter of a mile from there, so this is very – I've been kind of keeping an eye on what's going on with that plan because it does. It affects, it's going to affect voters in my district. Uh, so another issue that might come up with the next council um, – Last year, the county council approved the $20 million purchase of a 26-acre property along Himes Avenue, uh, which includes a 209,000-square-foot facility currently used for COVID-19 vaccination clinics. The county purchased the property with intentions of accelerating large projects like building new county offices, relocating the 911 call center, potentially adding a library to the west side of the city. What do you think the property should be used for? Well, the county owns it. If, I mean... It really, the county has to you know, the planning. The planning, planning has to make a need for the building. You know, planning has to just say, "This is what we're going to use the building for." You know, if it's going to be a library, make it a library. If it's going to be, you know, multi-use. If it's going to be a multi-use facility, make it a multi-use facility. If you're going to have the new communication center there, there are a lot of. They're going to need a lot of upgrades there. There's to do police communication, police and fire communications. That's a that's a process. You have to put a lot of heavy-duty towers at that emit, you know, you know, that emit, lack of a better term, radiation when they when they transmit. You know, you have that. There's gonna they're gonna have to do, they're going to have to make improvements to the building to do certain projects. And again, you own the building, you probably need to make the best use of the building. And again, that's that's a that's a county executive that's a county executive decision, not really a county council decision, on how the building is used. County council did their job. They bought the they authorized the funds to buy the property. It's now up to the county executive office to find the best. What's the best use for that that building? Oh, and, and the one thing I want to clarify: this, the the building used to be owned by, I guess it was I guess it was a State Farm call center a few years ago. So they have some of the infrastructure there to be able to just like easily implement, or not easily, but at a lower cost, implement um, like a call center for for the, to relocate the nine one one call center. They wouldn't have to like revamp some of the infrastructure there. Um, but it sounds like you you think that this is something that the county executive. This is something the county executive and 
that that should be his his or her decision to make. You know, it's their building. You know, technically, it's a county. The county owns a building. The county executive needs needs to, to designate a use for that building. That way, it's just not sitting there vacant. I'm not saying it's vacant now. If they're still doing the COVID testing there, then. Uh, is there anything else you'd look to accomplish with another term that I did not ask about? It's it's hard to say. I'm trying. I'm just trying to. I'm trying to win the first election. You know, I I I've really. I'm not a. I will say this. I am not a career politician. I'm. Don't plan on being a career politician. But part of it, you know, a lot of it is just trying to you know, maintain the level of services we have now. Ensure that you know, people want to move, want Frederick, want to come to Frederick. You know that's what always has been the draw to Frederick is the diversity of the county. You have rural areas, you have suburban areas, you have urban areas, you have a night a, a nightlife downtown. You have some, you have the distilleries, you have the breweries in the county. There's just there's so much. There's and then there's the outer beauty of the county when you get out in the rural areas and even like Baker Park. You know there there are a lot of great reasons to live in Frederick, and I want to keep it that way. You know, and again, some of that means that, you know, we're going to have to make, you know, again, make Frederick a, a little better by, you know, we're going to have to improve roads. You know, a, a project is definitely to improve how we get from, you know, because a lot of people work in Montgomery County still, you know, and they still take that, you know, I, you know US 15 and 270. As we've all seen at one point, you've never, there's never been a day where you've never sat in traffic, you know, absent COVID when it was great to drive to work because it was a 15 minute drive to work because there was no one on the roads. But now that people are back to work, you know, again, we still have to have these conversations that, you know, we need to improve the critical infrastructure in the county, which is roads, schools, broadband service. You know, these are these are some pet projects. But again, you know, the first term, it's, it's more about let's, you know, let's freeze the property taxes. Let's make sure that the proper, you know, that people that are paying taxes aren't over getting, they're not overpaying, especially now where we've seen record price increases in every area. Interest rates are going, you know, are skyrocketing. You know, gas prices are still at record highs. You know, again, we want, I want to put more money back in your pocket, not in the county's pocket. And I misspoke when I said another term. I'd say a, <laughs> a first four years. Okay, term. sorry. Um, you mentioned being able to continue projects to expand US 15 and Interstate 270. Is there, like, I mean, what would that look like for a county council member? Well, because a lot of that funding has to come from the state and federal government. It's going to be working with whoever, if it's going to be Congressman Trone or Congressman Parrott, it's working with them on a regular basis to secure that funding from the federal government. On the state level, it's working with the state delegation to get them to get us get the money to us so we can use that money wisely on, the, on these projects. Well, John, thank you so much for coming into the newsroom and, and joining me in the booth. No problem, Jack. It was a, it was a pleasure. Thank you.